Please uh, join me in prayer. Your mission was to go to the cross, Lord Jesus, and that you did. The work you call us to as your people is to believe in that. Not to assent to it or know it, but to put our lives, our future, our worldview into who you are and what you did. So I pray that in these next moments as we meditate on your word and find ourselves at that cross, that our thoughts would be acceptable to you. You are our rock. You are our Savior. Amen. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Two Sundays ago we went to church in Kenya because you go to church when you're away. We just, it's what we do. If we're in Minnesota, we go to church at my uh, in-laws church. We're in Kenya. We went to the Evangelical Lutheran Church in Kenya. And there were a whole lot more black faces than white faces. That's for sure. When we walked in, it would be like the little white church in LA that had a Somalian busload drop off. And they watched these six foot five Somalians walk in and thought, what in the world is going on? When we walked into the church in Nairobi on Sunday, they're like, oh my goodness. And then they saw Susan and they said, oh, it's the people from St. John's. And we worshiped. We sang in English out of the hymnal you sing out of. We followed divine service setting four out of Lutheran service book. We did the intro and the gradual and all of the pieces. And, and it was good for the soul. It, it engaged us in a... a conversation with God that never really ends, even if it picks up in, in Nairobi. We sat on one side of the church not knowing what was going on, and, and, and all of a sudden the whole first five pews stood up and turned around, and it was mostly young people, probably in their late teens to early 30s, and they turned around and started to sing in Swahili. Now, I still can't tell you what the song was about, except where it said Jesus Christ in the middle of it and Jehovah and that kind of stuff, but they had some rhythm that was missing. No offense. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it was a different level of rhythm and syncopation and dancing. And we turned around and looked a little bit over our shoulders, and the whole church was dancing with pastor got up and preached on the same text that your pastors preached on that Sunday, which was the feeding of the 5,000, just a beautiful reminder of what God has done for his people in feeding their hearts and souls. And then as the service ended, we sang the last hymn, which must have had 25 verses to it. And at the end of the 25th verse, the whole church has gone from the inside of the sanctuary to the outside of the sanctuary. And we stood around and sung a doxological hymn, a cappella with African and American voices singing beautifully harmonized together. It's one of those moments where your soul is full and rich and you realize that God is not God here in Orange, California, but God is God everywhere. His word is proclaimed. And that it's not about the goodies of life or religion what I'm going to get. It's about God feeding his people on the bread of life. And what that means for each and every one of us, whether you're in Nairobi, Embu, Orange County, or wherever, there's something that happens to our soul when we're connected to God right 
here and right now. You may want to open your bulletin because I'm going to come to a couple verses there. Uh, John chapter 6 is awesome. We're, we're departing a little bit from Mark's gospel. And, and, and that's because Jesus met 5,000 people. And, and Mark's got to go through it so quickly. He's just done. And, and he doesn't have time. But John, who is the beloved disciple, says, wait a minute. There's more that meets the story here. And the group of people, the church, that put together the readings said, you got to know a little bit more about the feeding of the 5,000 and the... The, the, the fallout from that. Because whenever you give people something, you change that relationship. Whenever you give something away and enrich somebody else, you change the nature of that relationship. And so Jesus had fed 5,000 plus people. And you better believe when the scripture said they, they, they ate to their full and there were 12 baskets left over, you better believe that the word got out among the people. And isn't that first part of John chapter 6 awesome? They, they're watching the boats come out. Where's Jesus? Where's the disciples? Where's Jesus? Where's the disciples? And in essence, what they're saying is, that was some good bread. We'd like some more bread. Give us the bread. All of this farming, all of this milling, all of this baking, all this stuff is getting old. You give us the bread, and we'll follow you wherever you go. Give us the goodies. Come on, Jesus. You fed us. You did some signs. You healed some sick people. You did all this stuff. You gave us some goodies. Give us more goodies. Do more signs. Do more miracles. We'll keep believing. It'll all be great. You just keep the goodies flowing. And so they get a little torqued off when Jesus says that there's something more than just bread in your belly and they say oh no 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 give us this bread and then Jesus makes an illusion he says there's there, there's there's something more to the bread than you're seeing and they say well sir give us this bread and it'll be great get, get, make it work and Jesus said man we're on two different levels here you see me only for what I can do for you and you don't believe in me as the Messiah you believe in me as the bread guy and there's something richer and deeper and more satisfying that I'm doing that you're missing. And John leads us through that whole diatribe. And it's a little bit of a painful conversation because this marks the very peak of Jesus' popularity until he's all on his own at the cross. And the more things change, the more they stay the same. You read through the Exodus thing. Barb read that beautifully, the Exodus piece. The people are mad because they don't have anything to eat 2,000 years, 1,500 years before Jesus. They're tracked off. They're struggling. They're saying, hey, we had full stew pots in Egypt, and now you brought us out in the desert to die. We got a little bit of water, and, and now you're telling us we're going to have Tony the Tiger for the next 40 years, Frosted Flakes, and then we're going to turn around and we're going to have quail. Great. Thanks. And then the people around the boat with Jesus. And then 21st century humanity. The church in the name of religion has made a lot of promises to people. If you do this, then your life will be wonderful. If you buy this little vial of magic water that comes from the Holy Land, and you put a little bit in your coffee in the morning, all the cancer will go away from your body. I used to not think people bought those things until I worked at UPS. 
people buy those things by the thousands. Entire trucks would back up into the loading dock in Egan, Minnesota, filled with this stuff because people weren't satisfied. The prosperity gospel's been big throughout history. If you do this, then God will make you rich. If you work in the church, if you serve this, if you do that, then you will be made rich. And I don't mean just rich in your soul. I mean rich, like rich, like money rich. You'll have more property. You'll be blessed if you do that. You'll be blessed if you do this. Your kids will be fine. They'll all turn out great. And, and all these goodies have kind of been stapled onto the Christian message. But it always is somewhat of a bait and switch. And it's run its course. As younger people look for something richer and deeper, they say all this weird religious stuff doesn't get the job done. It doesn't satisfy. And so the crowds grow around the preacher as long as the preacher has lots of goodies and lots of good stuff to give away. But once the goodies are gone, the crowds leave. As it was with Moses and Jesus, so it is in 21st century America. But the implication is interesting. I did my part. I did the works that you asked me to do, Lord, and now you owe me. That's where the people were with Moses on the side of the seashore as they rifled through the boats. And it seems to me in my observation and some of the reading I've done that that understanding has wrung the, 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 the soul out of North American Christianity. As people look for something deeper and the church says, how about a goodie? One of the hardest pieces of in Africa for me was the eating piece. And I usually never have a problem eating. I really never do. It's last time I went to Africa, I weighed almost 300 pounds and maybe a little over. And, uh, and you just couldn't eat. I mean, you just couldn't eat. It was just hard. There's cabbage and cabbage sticks and there's meat and the meat is cooked too much even if it's a little goat and stew it's too chewy and it comes up and the bread sticks as a dough ball in your tummy and so I was living on peanut butter envelopes which was good which I got from my friend's sister and uh, and then I had protein that I put in my water and took my vitamins and and I had beans 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 what <laughs> the best fruit in the world as long as I had beans at a dinner I could eat something that had protein in it gone are the days when I can horse down half a pizza gone are the days where I can sit and eat a king size rib cut in the South County restaurant gone are the days where I look for the biggest ribeye on the plate now I look for something that satisfies rather than something that satiates. And the best beans I've ever had in my life were served at Susan Jumanji's sister's home outside of Nairobi. I don't know what was in it. Maybe it was a little goat, but the seasoning was wonderful. And I ate about a half a cup of them, and I was satisfied. Not full, but satisfied. Watching a group of 18 disparate people come together as a team 
and laughing and joking and playing and having a good time together and loving the Lord and teasing one another and playing badminton and all that stuff and, and forgiving and loving and walking with one another it was the culmination of 10 days of traveling together and the team was like this and with those beans and with that team there was a sense of satisfaction sense of satisfaction that was deeply seated in my soul. When Jesus says, I am the bread of life, it's that level of satisfaction that he's talking about. He's not talking about starting on the football team at Yorba Linda High School. He's not necessarily talking about being the best student. He's not talking about having the cutest grandkids. He's not talking about making the most money. He's not talking about winning your fantasy football league. He's talking about that which satisfies the very core of who you are. Hear the exchange in John chapter 6, verses 28 and 29. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one whom he sent. And they said, what are the works we have to do? Plural, right? How many things do we got to do and then we get more bread? You'll give us more goodies. If we come to church 50 times in a year, what's in it for us? If we give you more offering, what's in it for us? If we serve and do this, what's in it for us? At what point is there ROI, return on investment, Jesus, preacher? And Jesus says, man, there's only one work. Ta erga, one work work and that is to believe in the one whom he has sent jesus the bread of life believe in him because everything that he has done through mark's gospel and through john's gospel everything that he has done uh, it, it, it's crazy not to believe believe in jesus He's the one who cast out demons. Believe in Jesus. He's the one who sealed the sick. Believe in Jesus. He's the one who preached the gospel. Believe in Jesus. He's the one who provided bread for 5,000 plus people. Believe in Jesus. Because he's the one who went to the cross of Calvary for you and for me. And brought satisfaction with God for us. That God isn't angry counting our sins against us, keeping a big old long list and saying, now you've got to work these off. Rather, God comes to us in Christ and says, I'm going to go to that cross and make satisfaction for you. So that when you stand before me, you are satisfied and full and complete. And in those broken pieces of lives where it feels like we're starving, where no amount of work, no amount of exercise, no amount of recreation, no amount of success feeds that broken part inside of us. It's the work of Jesus to bring forgiveness and healing to you and me. And by his death to bring peace with God for us. Part of the problem with going to John is that Mark's gospel is only like six or eight chapters and the rest of it is all death and resurrection and Jesus is going to get there he's going to get to the cross and do that work and make peace with God for you and me and deliver a transcendent sense of peace 
peace. Peace satisfies. Peace that's more than a feeling. Peace that's the presence of God. Not because we get all the goodies. But because Christ has fed us from our heart to his with the bread of life. There's a deep sense of soulful satisfaction in believing in Jesus. And there's a sense of acrimony and loss in not believing in Jesus. Over the course of the last six months, we've been working really hard as a church. I don't know if you're starting to feel it, but I'm really starting to feel our church catch in a way we haven't caught before. The auditorium is full this morning. We have probably 425 people here today. We typically go up 300 a week when we hit the middle of September. There's something going on in our church that is of God and that is powerful. And I think it's that we as the body of Christ are believing in Jesus, not for the goodies, but for the work. The work of living out lives in him together. You're going to see all sorts of stuff come down this fall. We've got new signage that's going to go throughout the campus. We're going to work on hospitality and greeters and ushers and all of those things. We're going to work on mobilizing you into the body of Christ and saying, come on now, let's get to work together. We're examining more and more why we always say hire a person to do that job rather than the body of Christ come around it. But one of the key pieces that we've worked on was figuring out a little bit more what it looks like to believe in Jesus at St. John's Orange. And I think it looks like this. Connecting to God. Doing what you're doing now. So that out of the abundance of belief in your soul, you have a deep, deep sense of connection to God and satisfaction that comes from His Son, Jesus. To do the work of believing. Not just saying, I know, but believing. Putting your life in God's hand. Letting go of control in those pieces of life where, where what we typically say is, well, I'll manage everything I can and then I'll let go at the end. No, no. We believe every morning when we get up because we've been connected to God. And His connection in our lives makes a difference every single day. And that we firmly believe what we believe of Christ. So we see the world through a different lens than your basic pagan person who's completely disinterested in things of satisfaction and immersed in the things of satiation. <clears throat> Connecting to God and growing together. Ephesians chapter 4, building up the body of Christ. What a beautiful scripture that was for us today. Life groups, Bible studies, fellowship. So that when I'm believing and I'm strong, I got something for you. And you drag in and you say, I need something today. I need someone to take my hand. I need someone to walk with me. I'm tired. I'm worn out. Come alongside of me. And I say, I got 7,000 people who are ready to come alongside of you. Pick one. Because we grow together as the body of Christ. So that we believe in Jesus and do the work of believing together. And we share Christ not just going to Africa and the big things that are going to be on the screen, but the little things. Things that are known only to you and the Almighty. 
things that are done in the quiet of a family conversation that only you and your most loved ones know and Jesus knows so that we believe together and we lead others to believe and have the satisfaction that you and me have. Do the work. Do the work. One work. Believe. Believe in Jesus, says the Lord. Last Sunday, we drove from Embu, which is about two and a half hours, to Nairobi. And uh, it, it was interesting. I like to sit by the door because I'm a little claustrophobic, and I didn't have an Ativan with me, and I just didn't want to go crazy, and my tummy's a little nutty. I can open the door and do my thing, and it's all good. And it just is what it is these days. And we drove two and a half hours from Embo to Nairobi in little vans on a hot day but with great satisfaction in our hearts. And when you rolled down the windows of the van, you could hear lots of stuff going on. You could smell the exhaust and the scooters and, and hear the honking and all of those things that people do when they've got to get somewhere quickly. But, but the churches in Kenya are full of people. And there were times that as we drove through, you could hear the loudspeaker going and the preacher preaching like his hair's on fire. And he was going, going, going in Swahili. And I don't know what he was saying, but it was Jesus this and Jesus that. And, and in between, who cares? It was just awesome. And, and then there was the marvelous, marvelous music and the people singing and dancing. And every time you stopped and every time you waited at a turnabout, you could hear people giving praise to God in their own native language, just spontaneously dancing and singing. And church lasts two and a half hours in Embu. So, so we did church that night ourselves. And it was filled with affirmation and encouragement and love. People who had been kind of on the fringe of the group were now sucked in. Body of Christ type stuff. Connecting, growing, sharing life together. And I'm reminded of the deep sense of satisfaction that comes in believing together in Jesus. Our hearts are knit together lives are knit together in common purpose and common love. And what an incredible difference that makes. Here's the work. It's the easiest thing to say and the hardest thing to do. In an age of skepticism and doubt, our kids go back to school and they kind of, the professors roll their eyes in some places. Here's the work. Believe in Jesus Christ. Believe. Believe. Please join me in prayer. Not really here for the goodies today, Lord. I don't have a big grab bag or a bike to give away or nothing just the bread of life, just that which we chew on in our brain, in our heart, sits in our soul, touches every part of what we think and who we are and what we do. 
We pray you would be with those who are struggling in their faith and they're believing, who have 100,000 other things to do and 50,000 excuses to make. And they smile and pat us on the, on the shoulder and say, you go to church, I got important stuff to do. Somehow, Lord, there's a hunger in their eyes that is never filled up and an emptiness in their soul that is like a bucket with a hole in the bottom just trying to, trying to fill itself. Grant us who know you and who believe in you, who have a confident faith in you. Grant us to be your salt and your light in this world and that nothing would take us away from you. That we would preach like our hair is on fire, that we would serve like it's the last day on earth, that, that we would share our very hearts and lives with one another in a way that would make everybody satisfied. Thanks for Jesus and for this word from John 6 for how it sits in our heart and our soul and how it brings a deep-seated sense of satisfaction. In Jesus' name.